They say you can't go home again, but what if all the doors of the exciting life you imagined were closing? What if you dreamed of doing work in an urban area, but instead ended up in Columbia, Tennessee, an hour south of Nashville, where your husband grew up? Oh, and you make this big move? Right as politics have become a dumpster fire and a pandemic is about to start raging. Is it possible God is working and moving in our neighborhoods where we bump into folks who have a tendency to be suspicious of each other's politics and different faith expressions? Keep listening as Lauren Pinkston joins me for this conversation. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith, while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. The beginning of a new year often gives us a chance to take personal inventory. That's what I did last year when I decided I needed to find a counselor. It has been one of the best decisions I have ever made. If you've been considering it for yourself, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. You can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you will be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Today, I am excited to introduce you to Dr. Lauren Pinkston. Lauren is currently an associate professor of business at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. She and her family moved to the Middle Tennessee area after five years in Southeast Asia, where they work to help set up businesses as a way to provide economic support for families who are often targets of exploitive labor. She's also the founder of the Kindred Exchange, a nonprofit organization that focuses on sustainable short-term missions. And she's the wife to Gavin, who is a family practice doctor in Columbia, Tennessee, and mom to four amazing kids. Oh, and P.S., she just started a podcast that's amazing, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Dr. Lauren Pinkston. So here, I'm trying to think back to where I like stumbled across you. I'm sure it was social media. I don't know through what avenue. Yeah, yeah. But and, and I had been following Sharon McMahon, but I think I followed you before a year ago. So yeah, I know you were on cool. one of her podcasts. Yeah. And but then somehow I found you and then I was like, oh, she has some interesting things to say. I feel like we have some things in common. And then you had posted something or said something and I was, and I thought, oh, she lives by me. <laughs> She's practically my neighbor. You know, your town is just a little bit south of where we live. Yeah. yeah. I was looking around and I was like, well, where did they go to church? That's amazing. I feel like we had some things in common. Um, 
just with like faith journey. And I thought someday I will sit down and talk to Lauren and she's going to be my friend one way or another. Yes. Yes. So here we are. (laughs) I love it. I love meeting people that are like basically my neighbors on online. (laughs) Like it's easier to set up a zoom than it is a coffee these days. It's crazy. It is. And you, you know, with kids and work and all the schedules, sometimes you just do that. Plus you're a night owl. If you guys follow Lauren on Instagram, you may wake up to stories from her that like fill up like she has exceeded. She sits, she's talking in the night to us and we wake up. You have basically been podcasting on Instagram is what I'm saying for several years. And now you're launching your own this month. It just makes so much sense. I'm excited to finally like solidify what we're doing in a bit more of a formal way. But yes, Instagram has been a fun way to connect with people. And midnight is the only time I get by myself. So it is the, it's just where right now in life I can, I can be alone with, you know, my work and my thoughts. And, and that's, I don't know, that's, that's kind of my happy place. Yeah. So how did you end up in Columbia, Tennessee in 2019? Was it? Yes, it was 2019. So my family, um, my husband and I and our kids had been living abroad. We were living in Southeast Asia and we knew that it was time to transition back. Several things were going on. Um, Visas were a challenge uh, for a variety of reasons. And then one of our kiddos was just uh, in need of some medical treatment. And then, um, you know, it just raising kids in very transitional lifestyles is, is tricky. And I, if you talk to people who have lived abroad, there's just this, there's this love that you have for that lifestyle of, oh man, this week we're going to the Philippines to go do, I don't know, you know, it becomes this, it becomes this chip on your shoulder that you wear sometimes. And so admitting that there's, there are definitely some downsides to not having stability for your kids that they don't have one place that they call home. I mean, my, my nine-year-old can, pinpoint seven or eight houses that she has called home in her wow. in her short life. So that has it that has an effect on kids. So anyways, we finally we finally gave in and, and moved back home and we were trying to look anywhere but but here and Columbia just found us and it is just a lovely town great people, courageous people who want to have really hard conversations and figure out how to live in community here together. And it just really roped us in and we love it. Absolutely love it. We we look closer to Nashville quite often and just can't, we, I don't know, can't pull the trigger. We, we really, we really love living here. You arrived in 2019. The world is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. things were starting on fire, I believe mm-hmm. in that time. <laughs> they were blazing. Yes. There was a lot of rumbles in the Christian evangelical world, the whole Christian faith community of like some big fractures happening, a lot of conversations happening with people and looking at, you know, the effect that Trump had on a lot of churches and people taking for granted sort of like how they would vote. And of course, certain Christians vote certain ways. You land here sort of as that's heating up a little bit more. And then the pandemic happens. It's 2020. And your husband's a family practice doctor. Is that right? That's right. Uh-huh. And you live in a very, Columbia is wonderful, but also middle Tennessee is, it's very, very conservative. And there are a lot of people that aren't really interested in, they really feel suspicious of health precautions. It just become very polarized. And I'm just wondering, 
Tell me what that was like for you transitioning back into a church in America, a community here, finding your place when all of that is swirling around. This could probably be a whole series, but wherever <laughs> you want to take that. <laughs> yeah, I. it's interesting. It's a lot easier to love a place that you don't know all of its dirt, right? So when you travel yeah. and you go somewhere short term, you see the beautiful parts, the parts that everyone puts out front, the the beautiful restaurants or the pretty streets or the touristy attractions. And even though we lived in Southeast Asia for five years, we still, it was not home to us long term, right? We were still, we were still seeing a lot of the beautiful parts of it. When you when you are from somewhere, you know it's junk. And, and I've said, you know, it's sometimes harder to love the places that you come from because you know all of the dirt that's there. And so I really grieved moving back to the United States and tried not to land in the South to be perfectly transparent. I mm. I grew up here. Um, I'm originally from West Tennessee, and I knew what was here. I knew what I was coming back to, and I knew the polarization that was happening in the United States. And I just did not want... I, I was not ready to jump into that. And so I had to really prepare. Uh, I pre-grieved for a good year before we moved back, knowing this was kind of the trajectory asking God, like, Lord, please give me a heart for my own people and my own culture, the same way you have given me a heart for a place around the world. If I can, if I can learn another language, a tonal language, if I can, if I can learn to love a people that I have almost nothing in common with, surely I can find a way to love a, a, a culture that I know, a language that I speak. And so I tried to center that as really my, my heart posture moving back, but I, it's hard to know really what the political temperature is when you're only seeing things on social media. So I wasn't sure really yeah. how were conversations being had around the table? How were people engaging with each other? And it turns out that social media was a pretty good indicator of the suspicion that we had of each other in, in the United States. And that suspicion has led to really a breakdown of relationships mm -hmm. and a lot of grief around those relationships. And so um, what my husband and I have really tried to step into coming back here is asking better questions and being more curious about how people think, how they arrived at the conclusions that they did, and how they feel about politics, healthcare, church, all of mm -hmm. those big things that are a huge part of who we are, asking those questions and being more curious, and then positioning ourselves in a way that allows people to be curious about us as well and and promotes conversation um, instead of shutting down relationships. And we've tried to do that in our own, you know, personal, personal mm -hmm. walks every day, whether that's in the classroom or the clinic or around the family table, but online seemed to be a really critical place to do that as well. Um, because that's where a lot of us spend our time, right? <laughs> Is yeah. the, the device yeah. in our hands. So yeah, that's been an interesting, it's been an interesting journey for sure, figuring out how to show up and be authentic in all of those places. That is so interesting to me here to hear that you prayed that God would help you have a heart for a place that you would probably, many of us take for granted. It, it's easy to think, like you said, like we're going to go abroad. I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to be, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to put in the time and build the relationship and have that relational capital without like asking, making big asks that could rock someone's world. It Was it hard to do that? Like how, how soon did you feel like God was like saying, all right, Lauren, 
you asked, I'm answering. <laughs> well, I feel like he'd, he'd been pushing on me for quite a while. Um, uh, if you are in the mission space at all, uh, or have spent time in around missionaries, people who call themselves missionaries, you will find a lot of people who are really trying to escape something in their own culture back home, or, you know, there's a lot of escapism that happens. And so, uh, you know, the Lord was, he just kept calling me back, kept calling me back, kept calling me back. And he said, I felt, you know, that if, if I can't love the place and the people that I come from, then I haven't learned how to love. And um, I just felt like another invitation to sanctification, another uh, opportunity to understand his heart for my roots, where I come from and what the Lord was doing here specifically, because goodness knows that if I believed he was pursuing the hearts of people in other nations around the globe, he was absolutely pursuing people here as well. And so trying to figure out where God was on mission in my community, um, in a different context than what I was used to. I, I mean, I, I looked for jobs in every urban city that I could. We were, uh, I was really hoping that, that something would open up in some type of uh, urban housing, you know, complex or something that, you know, looked really cool, like a really cool ministry location. <laughs> yes. And uh, we landed on a street here in, a, in an affluent part of our town and it gutted me um, and and God was like, Lauren, can you please stop feeling like you have to martyr yourself to look like you have this amazing ministry going on um, because your kids are unraveling. So yeah. <laughs> why don't you give them a stable home and and figure out how to receive that and find other ways to connect? And and so that's where that's where I'm sitting now. And it's it's been a bit of a knock to my own pride, um, maybe outside of where, where I usually thrive, I feel like, and in, in connecting with people. But um, it's been a great invitation. If you've ever read, uh, I think, is it Emotionally Healthy Spirituality mm, by mm-hmm. Pete Scazzaro? And he talks yeah. about those boundaries and kind of starting with ministering out of a place of like, what what is your family situation boundaries set for you in this time? And I think you're leaning into that. And yeah. That's a great, that's a great book. I think it's interesting that you saw yourself in the urban area and you're, and you, you resisted that like suburban life, (laughs) the the neighborhood life. And here you are, here you are. Tell me about the conversations you've been able to have though. Uh, As you have been curious, like you get to be the person that gets to be curious in a neighborhood Yes. So, I mean, prime example, I guess uh, this was Sunday night. So we, we went over to some family friends, a family friend's house for uh, the, the traditional New Year's meal, right? So we are eating black eyed peas and hog jaw and all of the, all of the things. And we're sitting around, everybody's laughing and this, somebody's telling us a birth story. And before I know it, I'm like blabbing about how childbirth is the number one you know, dangerous health risk to women around the world. More women die in childbirth around the world than anything else. And one in 40 women die in Laos in childbirth and how we just don't understand that in the United States. And I, the whole room is silent. I'm like, I just did it again. I'm so sorry. Here come my depressing statistics. And, you know, that's, that's definitely been a cultural component of trying to figure out how to, how to 
reach across the culture here because I don't do a great job of knowing the different types of countertops that people are wanting in their homes yeah. and, and how we how we discuss home improvements and things like that. I, you know, I I'm I'm just not as as comfortable in that space, but I can blab to you for hours about the recent statistics from IOM about, you know, child labor and, <laughs> and, and trafficking. And um, so that's, that's been a learning curve that I'm, I'm still on, but it has, I think, provided some curiosity for my neighbors as well to say, wow, how can we, how can we open our eyes to a global mindset that, that we haven't had? And so there's been some growing pains through that. And I've said a lot of awkward things that I wish I could take back, but um, people are learning how to receive me and they have been so great, so great to our family. I mean, our family has been in a really tough season and they have just surrounded us with so much love, so much compassion. And I, I think in ministry or in, in faith circles, we get so wrapped up in wanting to do for other people. We, mm-hmm. we want, we, we think that, we think that ministry is all about depleting ourselves to give to other people. And there's a huge component of that to ministry for sure, but there's a ministry of receiving as well. And if we, if we can't receive good things from other people, then we miss out on community and what it means to be in faith with other people um, who are helping complete and perfect our faith through relationship. And that has been a really unexpected joy and gift of living where we do and God providing the family that he has through, through our faith community here. Yeah. I want to ask you about your faith community because as I've sort of followed you online, um, there's been some changes in how you have approached, like whether you are in a building with a like organized uh, Mm -hmm. faith community or whether you're at home, how, what made you decide to do some shifts in that? What does that look like for you or some of the the ups and downs of that process. Yeah, goodness. I love how how differently people find ways to express their faith and connect with community as they as they seek a higher a higher God. And you know, for us, we were coming back a little bit a little bit tattered and torn from a, a really challenging season abroad. And so we we spent about six months when we moved back trying to find uh, a faith community that we could we could plug into and we were going to give it our best go at yeah. an institutionalized church um, so this is where I say there is there's not a wrong way to connect <laughs> with Absolutely. people in, in, in the way that you find you find God uh, through through your faith community um, we have found that deinstitutionalizing our faith has been a lot more authentic um, for us and a a way for us to connect more deeply with people. Um, So we, we did spend about a year in a, in an organized church here. Great experience, great people um, loved it, but we kept having, we kept having people strike up conversations with us saying, where do you guys go to church? We just can't find anywhere to go. Mm And we're in the Bible Belt with a church, literally. Like, I we there are two church, huge churches across the street from from us. You know, we we are surrounded. So Gavin and I, my husband, we just kept saying, "How do, what's going on that people can't find a place to express their faith in God?" Yeah, because there were among, there are so many churches, you can't miss right. them. What? Yeah. Why weren't they interested in the church on the corner? Uh, it, it feels to me that people and this, and this especially happened during covid right so this is this is telling from the last couple of years but when when people are 
are needing to be heard. They are needing to be able to express not only a faith in God, but also questions about God. They want to be able to serve. They want to be able to be active in their faith. And the larger a church gets, it seems to me that the the fewer places there are really for people to plug in because you have paid staff, you've got a ministry team that is saying, you come in and we will serve you. But there's mm-hmm. a core need that we all have to actually be active in the way that we yeah. practice our faith as well. And my sense is that in an institutionalized church, there's there's fewer places for people to truly plug in authentically, um, even with small group programs or with different, different types of ministries in the church. Um, I just think people have found a hard, a hard path to actually being really active in the way that they live out their faith. So it doesn't feel authentic to them. It doesn't feel tangible. And they start to wonder like, is this really who I, you know, is this just something I'm doing on Sundays? And so what has happened is our living room has become a place for people to explore that. And we have really enjoyed watching multiple families, multiple single individuals come and just sit around the Bible on Sunday afternoons, asking questions and working through a discovery Bible study. And we eat together each week and have, they've just become an extension of our family to us. And it's been really beautiful. I don't know, you know, it's not, it's not perfect either. And, um, I don't know what, what's coming next. We're praying about that as more people are seeking, to find a faith community that's as authentic as what we have. So we're praying through that, but that's, that's where we are right now. And, and being in a living room and and living life in a house church for us has been really great um, over the last couple of years. Lauren, if somebody, I bet there's people listening that are like, that sounds wonderful. How do Mm -hmm. I find those people? How do I, how do I find that? And especially if they don't live in Columbia, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that question a lot. And I could write a book and I could give you a formula and I could tell you how to do it and it would be wrong. It would be wrong for your context and it would be wrong for your people. And so I I think we, we love, we we love clear cut step-by-step, you know, instructions of how to do this. But the reality is that the church is meeting around the world right now in so many different forms. And the form that you fall into is the form that is a natural expression of your your love for God. And it's taken me a long time to get there because I was raised in a very fundamentalist church culture where we had to do everything just right. And we prayed every Sunday that God would accept our worship as perfect and pleasing Mm -hmm. to him. And so, you know, I think it was worshiping with a church in Uganda and seeing how they escorted the women forward to take communion um, and sitting in a church on the Burmese border, watching how uh, refugees from Myanmar were offering songs to edify the church um, on a Sunday, just different forms that I've seen the church take to me says, what do you have? What is your skill? What do you have to offer the people who are seeking and hungry for God in your community? And you open your home. And you sit together and you say, what do you have to bring? And the church will form out of that. Um, so uh, there's tools for sure. And we'd love using inductive studies. The, the discovery Bible study process has been really beautiful for us and kind of become a part of our DNA. But that's just one tool. There's many ways to sit around a table and discover God together. And now for a quick break. If you're looking for a way to meet some of your reading goals this year, I have a great opportunity for you as you jump into 2023. I'll be kicking off a book club in my Patreon community for those who support the show at a $7 a month level or higher. 
Our first book is The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb by Jamin Gogan and Kyle Strobel. It changed my life when I read it, and I know you will love it. To sign up and for more information, go to patreon.com slash untangledfaith. That's patreon.com slash untangledfaith. Now back to the show. Yeah. What would you say to pastors that they really want to have a healthy church? They want to do this the right way. They're, they're, but they're feeling discouraged because they feel like people left um, when the pandemic started and they're not coming back. And they're saying, why aren't these people coming back? And some are asking in really good faith. I think some, some, you know, there's all sorts of emotions about it in, in different pastors that are like healthy or not healthy, whether they're like angry and frustrated or whether they're just really curious about it. What would you say if you could sit down in a room with these pastors that are saying, why aren't they coming back? What do you know? What, what should I do? Where should I go? Yeah, I would say, first of all, let yourself off of the hook um, for being able to be everything to everyone. Because a lot of times people in in pastoral positions feel a pressure to have the resources for everyone's spiritual needs. And it's impossible. One person cannot meet, um, and even a ministry team cannot meet all of the needs that someone has in, in discovering God. And so if a church is trying to have all of the programs just so Um, and designing these experiences for people, it will be imperfect and it will be incomplete because people are so dynamic and God is so supernatural. So we can't measure that experience for people and we can't design it perfectly for them because something will throw it off. If there's anything I've learned working with people, it is that you cannot predict (laughs) what they will say, what they will do, how they will feel and how they will feel their way back to God. I find a lot of, a lot of encouragement in, in Paul's sermon at Mars Hill saying the Lord is not so distant from us that we can't find our way back to him. So there is for sure a grief of, of the great falling away or the great, you know, there's a name for it. I, I know that people smarter than me in, in church leadership have, have, have framed this, uh, the great decline of, of people attending services on a Sunday. But I think step number one is to say, look, God has not stopped pursuing people. And we have to first hope that each person who may not be sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning has just fallen away completely from God. Maybe they are finding him in an, in a more authentic way. The second thing I would say is how can you remain curious about the people who have found their way to your building and ask them, what do you have to give? How do you want to serve and what people do you have in your network? What passions do you have in your heart? What burdens do you have for our community that you want to serve in and how can we support that? Um, Because one 65-year-old lady with knitting needles, um, that was a, a complete projection of someone 65. I like, you know. We were given last week a prayer shawl from a lady at my at my in-laws church and she had prayed over that entire shawl as she was knitting it together and wrote the most beautiful prayer to us as a gift. Um, that was a beautiful ministry that my, my in-laws church did not commission. They didn't say, we're going to have a prayer shawl ministry and this is everyone's going to get, you know, they didn't try to, <laughs> they didn't try to, um, measure it and and show it. This is just a a person who is being faithful to what her skills are and the way that she wants to give. And I think that we need to do more of that 
in the church in the United States get behind um, and breathe life into individuals in the way that they are ministering instead of designing programs and measuring the outcomes. We've turned church into a bit of a business and it has and it has failed to connect to people on a lot yeah. of levels. And that's a hard thing to hear because a lot of the skills that um, pastors have been given are in that area. And so it feels like a whole mm -hmm. new, I mean, it feels like going abroad. Like this is not what yeah. I thought this was going to be. These aren't the people that I thought we're going to be showing up. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. really, I feel, I feel for these pastors that really want to humbly serve and the ones that are really mm -hmm. curious, especially I was listening. Um, I think you probably have some connection um, like through like your teaching and maybe in your background through some of the restoration movement churches. Uh, we went oh, to um, a church in Franklin, which is associated with a Christian church, non-denomination. I did not grow up in that movement. I grew up in a different denomination. I just thought it was so, I think it's funny, first of all, that all these churches, they don't call them, they don't say their denomination, but they have like the same they all go to the same colleges and they go to the same conferences. Girl, that was my whole life growing up. I know it, I right. know it very well. Right. Yeah. So I learned about the restoration movement because uh -huh. that, it's more in the South than in right. where I grew up in the Twin Cities area. Mm -hmm. um, but we had a um, we had an interim pastor after our pastor had to be fired for plagiarizing virtually every sermon that he ever oh, wrote, no. every word, even the personal stories that he told oh, were. No. Oh were okay. from a pastor in Kentucky, or they were Mark Driscoll's. He was just like doing a dramatic reenactment of other people's sermons the entire time he was there. Anyway, oh so we God. ended up with an interim pastor that is very, maybe you know, Rubel Shelley, who has been yes. in the Churches of Christ and Restoration Movement for a long time. And all he did when he came was pastor us. Mm. And he had like a, a series of sermons that he would do when he did interim preaching. And so it just felt like I don't know what it was. So something about that interim pastor period that felt like, oh, this person isn't trying to get anything out of us. This person mm. just wanted to love us. Mm. And I had looked to see he was somewhere closer to Nashville now, I think. Mm -hmm. He's pretty old, but he's still ministering. It, it's so, it, he could be retired, right? He could yes, be. And that's funny because we actually landed in one of his church plants as well um, when we came back. And he's yeah, he was in Columbia for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I'm very familiar. Very familiar. I was listening to a Bible study that they were doing online just because I was like, what is he doing these days? Because we aren't even at that church anymore. We're, we're somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, he's leading this Bible study at this church that he's at. And he's talking with these elders and explaining to these people about how they have been researching the roles of women in the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this guy is how old now? And he's still like curious yes. and wanting and saying, here's what we're seeing. Yeah. We may have gotten this wrong in the past. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, if we could all mm. hold on to that, like, uh, you know, what have I gotten wrong? Maybe uh, yeah. who can I learn from? What can I hold loosely? Mm. And I think that's been one of the things that's been really, really helpful for my, yeah. my faith yeah. journey, seeing people like that. I, I identify a lot with Rubel Shelley. He has, what I love about him is that he has for decades been willing to sit on the fringes of a faith community that is very uncomfortable with his curiosity. And uh, we as a society in the United States have a premium on 
um, our culture lends itself to wanting direct answers and to have perfected our understanding of certain things. We love knowledge. It sounds a lot like the Greco-Roman times in in many ways, right? And so how does God want to disrupt our understanding of perfect, perfect theology and continue to blow our minds with how big he is, how good he is, how he pursues us and how he pursues our neighbors. I want to stay in a place where I continue to be amazed by that. And the more that I perfect my theology in a list of doctrine, the less I remain curious about who God is and what he has to show me. And that to me feels really dangerous and a place that I wanted to move away from. And so I think that's where I'm sitting where I am now. Has it caused me to lose a lot of, you know, relationships with people that I cared deeply about because I've been cut out of their social circles? Yes. Um, And not all people are comfortable asking those questions. And, and that is, that is unfortunate, but that is real. Um, But to me, and as we raise our children, this was a question that my husband and I asked as we figured out what church was going to look like for us and how we were going to keep conversations about God alive in our home is how do we encourage our kids to keep seeking even into adulthood to where you know, they're not like me where I had my entire Bible color coded by the steps of salvation by the time I was 12 and was convinced (laughs) that I could take someone from creation to Christ in 30 minutes and get them into a baptistry and be done like that. That way of thinking had to be had to be undone um, for me to continue to experience a God that is new every morning and still the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Um, But he is he is so exciting to me. And he's taught me time and time again that I still have so much to learn. So I just want to position myself in a place where I allow him to be as big as he truly is, where I'm not making plans for my church or for my next year saying, God, this is what I want to do. Could you please bless it? But I'm saying, God, what are you doing and how can I not be working against you in that? Um, And when I, when I shifted that way of thinking, man, my life just really did explode in richness because he, his wisdom is so far above mine that I, I've just been humbled time and again. And, um, it's, it's been a reframe that has helped me more than anything. So yeah, if you ask me about my theology, it's not, it's not a list of things other than my non-negotiables, which are God is so good. He is ever present and pursuing us and he has good things for everyone everywhere if they can receive him and hear about him in a way that is not judgmental and, and, and very loving. Sometimes he's going to ask us to do hard things and his judgment is harsh on us at times, um, as, but it's also an invitation, right? It's an, an invitation to, to something deeper and something better. I want to do my part to not get in the way of that invitation to someone else. Um, so I want to just make sure that my, my faith forward theology is, is warm and inviting, um, and only harsh when, when God is inviting that into someone's life and they ask for wisdom. Um, so that's, that's where I'm sitting now. You know, you feel like when you've learned something new, it can be hard to be patient with those that haven't, that aren't there, aren't where you are. And you forget the patience that people had with you when they were a step in a different place. Um, 
I I recently had a conversation with Tracy Rhodes. So my dog is like walking around here. (laughs) I had Tracy Rhodes on the podcast and she said one of the best things she thinks people could do when they are feeling discouraged or like really frustrated in their church experience um, is to look at all the different expressions of faith Hmm. in the world. There are Mm -hmm. so many. And she said she has sat in on a Quaker gathering and it had a friend sit with her and explain to her what was happening in, you know, like a Greek Orthodox church and Mm -hmm. not to come as somebody that's just like watching, but like, how are they experiencing God and what have I missed? And it was just really beautiful to hear her talk about it and talk about that experience of, of being, of learning and and being like, Oh, I wrote off all these people before. I I thought exactly (laughs) one denomination had it all figured out, but (laughs) it turns out maybe, maybe we don't have it all figured out. I thought it was beautiful. So I, I plus one that I mean that that has absolutely been my experience as well. And like I shared earlier, it's sitting in the global church, looking at how other people are finding hope in God, and saying, "Wow, there are a lot of ways that people need to be saved. There are a lot of areas of the world where people need hope, and I don't have the solution for hope to everyone. So how are they finding that? And how can I rejoice that God is?" is the solution for them in that, um, in a way that I could have never even considered. <laughs> I could yes. have never written it. Um, and instead of just beating myself up for not having that as a part of my theology, how can I sit in that and say, wow, God, you are so good that you are perfect in the way that you pursue your people. Teach me more about that. Yeah. The pressure is off when yeah. you come to that feeling of understanding. Like I was living like I needed to have all the right answers in order to be good with God. Mm-hmm. When, when I really think about that, I can't imagine that God would be like, well, you got A and B right, but you know, you weren't quite on about the predestination, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Calvinism, mm-hmm. Arminianism mm-hmm. debate. I'm sorry. You're out. Exactly. And I lived 25 years of my life thinking that that's what judgment day was going to look like. And it was a a really hard place to be wondering every day if I had messed up in a way that was not going to be forgivable. And there's so much liberation. Christ didn't come to burden us with, can you imagine if he had given up everything, even separation from God by taking on all of our sin, just so that we could hold our nose just right and, 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 (laughs) and dip our pinky in, in blood and of of a dove, like that wasn't working. And he came to perfect good news. He came to perfect good news. And the gospel wasn't good news for me because I was constantly wondering if I was going to be able to attain salvation. And I had put such a premium on salvation that I had forgotten about sanctification. Oh man, that's a word. Like there's a podcast episode for you. The the process, right? The process of, of being sanctified should be much higher to us than a one and done moment of salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I want to, I want to live the rest of my life leaning into, into that sanctification process. I love the humility you hold things with, but I also love the fire that you have in you about the things that you are (laughs) passionate about. 
And so I had sent, I sent you this link to this thread by Shannon mm-hmm. Martin. You know who she is. I do. I love and Shannon. And I feel like it preaches. I think I feel like this could preach to some of your heart too of the things that fire you up. I'm going to read the thread. I had shared it with Emily Snook on the on uh, the podcast with some of my patrons the other day, but I just wanted to share. Right. Um, she says white evangelicals ten out of ten prefer what they can't see to what they can see, and it shows. And she shares this thread, and I want to talk about this because I have been this person. I don't sure. want to just point the finger and say it's all y'all's fault. This has been me. So right. she says there are people being oppressed, dying from racism, homophobia, gun violence, and poverty, and they'd rather talk about the end times. Yep. Mm -hmm. Five-year-olds are being shot to death during circle time. They'd rather talk about the unborn. Mm -hmm. An insurrection took place on live TV, and they'd rather talk about a riot they heard about from Sean Hannity. While COVID deaths were stacking up in hospital hallways, they wanted to talk about Wayfair cabinets and and rumors of satanic cabals. We have broken healthcare, broken schools, cities without safe drinking water, mass incarceration, modern slavery, and they want to talk about focusing on joy, daily quiet time, not being divisive, and Israel, and 90% do not know why they're supposed to throw this last one around, the Israel one. Mm-hmm. And she said it was only a matter of time that someone wake up and walk towards what was always right in front of our faces. Let's yeah. talk about that. I have been the person that was like, you know, we had the books in our house growing up, like the 86 reasons Christ is returning in 1986. I'm like, it was like one of these three days, right? It was like it was sometime in September because we don't know the exact day, but we could like narrow it down to one of these three days. And, the, you know, yes, like we've cared about the unborn, mm-hmm. but I think I wonder, like, how have you processed some of this? How have you been able to engage people that maybe have been blind to some of those real things and have hung on to more of those like out there, maybe even not real, real things. Cause I mean, you have a husband who is a physician, mm-hmm. so you've dealt with some of those things. You have been in the political world, the faith world, all mm-hmm. of the things. Mm-hmm. How have you had some of these conversations? How does this resonate? Like, yeah. I'm going to give you a, yeah, I'll I'll start with a scientific approach, a historical approach, because that really does help me understand where people are coming from. If I can look at the history and the background of how they got to where that they are, I tend to be able to approach those conversations with a lot more grace and patience. So um, this is, this is not, I cannot take credit for this. This is actually from the Dean of the College of Bible at Lipscomb University, Leonard Allen. And he wrote a book called The Cruciform Church, but he framed it in the context of the restoration movement. Okay. And how the restoration movement was born during a time when science was becoming new and exciting. The explosion of technology and understanding of how when we discovered the smallest cell, like when we discovered the the smallest unit of an atom in a cell, suddenly we could explore so many things about science that we had we had never been able to describe before. So if scientists were able to give understanding and shed light on the pieces of the human body and how things worked and provide answers that that impacted the faith community as well because we had to be able to then give answers for everything that we believe in why mm-hmm. and so much of how we approach faith is because of how we approach science and learning wow, that's interesting and so 
you watch over the last 200 years in the United States after after so many of the churches were born out of the restoration movement and wanting to perfect our faith, right? We lost a lot of the wonder and the mysticism about God because we were so busy looking at scripture, dissecting it and saying, yes, you know, we know that scripture says X, Y, and Z. We can point to these three verses and say, you know, that homosexuality is wrong and that women have to be silent. And clearly scripture says this. And so we make this set of rules and doctrine. And if anyone questions us on it, we go back to, we go back to the Bible as, as perfect and infallible. And I think that that foundation has, has robbed us of our curiosity about God and who he is as a person, because we've looked so much to a set of rules to be able to look to our left or right and say, yes, I'm saved or no, I'm not. Um, and we could talk for a whole nother episode about the infallibility of scripture and <laughs> those doctrines that we could poke holes in all day long because of contextualizing um, scripture um, and even and how translations have been <laughs> have been a bit shaded by by culture, right? So um, that's a whole nother conversation. So don't hear me saying that those are the doctrines that I stick to. That's just kind of a, a picture of of how we we look at a certain list of how to be a good person or how to be a good Christian, and that has been so impacted by our politics that. We have tacked those political stances onto our biblical doctrines, mm-hmm. all of those of which could have holes poked in them all day long, right? Because going back to what I said earlier, people are so dynamic and the way that they encounter God is so dynamic. And so, yes, I, I love Shannon and I appreciate the fire that she brings to things as well because we've lost we've lost our focus when we think that we can vote a certain way vote down a ticket on a certain political party or take a certain topic and be 100% aligned with that issue because there's not a single social issue that is black and white and there's not a single way to vote that is perfect, right? Um, And it's easier. We don't have to think when we do that. We just say, this is where I am on it. And if you're not on my side, then you're not on God's side. But I just don't believe that God is going to send all Republicans or all Democrats to hell one day. I just think that that's not how he chooses to love us or pursue (laughs) us. So um, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So anyways, I, yeah, I appreciate that. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you are going to love the extra bonus audio. I asked Lauren about how she roped her husband, Gavin, a family practice doctor in a very politically divided area, to talk about COVID vaccinations on her Instagram. That's waiting in the Patreon community. You can join us there by going to patreon.com slash untangledfaith. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Speaking of show notes, you can find all of those links and all of the show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. If you are on social media, I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. Today's episode is also a great one to discuss with a friend. So forward this episode to your bestie and tell them they need to listen because you want to talk about it. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. 
I'll see you next week.